listening to a Kink in the Chain podcast. Welcome to the Kink in the Chain podcast. I'm your host, Rope Squirrel. Sadly, Ritzy could not be here this week. And it's a real shame, too, because we've got a guest this week. Guess that means I get to interview him all alone. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, this week we have Algernon. Algernon is a four-legged type Pokemon, a.k.a. a puppy in an electric top, who's been in the lifestyle for six years. He also has Asperger's, which is why I wanted to interview him today. We don't often hear from this side of the community very often, so I thought this would be very interesting to actually talk to somebody who actually is a little different in our community. How are you doing today, Algernon? I'm doing very well, Squirrel. Thank you for inviting me tonight. You are most welcome. I am very glad that you're here. So, what is it like being someone with Asperger's in the BDSM community? A little bit awkward, a little bit chaotic, and a lot of fun. With some issues, but a lot of fun mostly. What were you kind of expecting when you were entering the scene? When I went into community, honestly, I kind of expected what everyone else wanted. Sex, nudity, and a lot of pain. What I found in the community was a bit more accepting, a lot of friends, and a lot of pain. I started off... Like everyone else, I wanted to be a submissive. I wanted to please the mistress. I wanted the pain. As I grew in the community and as I learned the ways of the BDSM community, the social structures, the friendships you can make, I learned not only do I enjoy receiving a good flogging, I enjoy giving back some nice electricity play as well. Mm, So you're a little lightning bug, are we? I do zap, zap, zap any chance I get. (laughs) So what kind of drew you to this lifestyle? What were you looking for that encouraged you to come out and be with all of us misfits? Honestly, I really wasn't sure what I was looking at at that time. But I think the thing I was really looking for was a place where I actually felt like I belonged. I'm a very black and white thinker. Either things are good or bad. Either you're right or you're wrong. And there's rules you must follow. BDSM is a lot of protocols and a lot of rules, and that's what really called to me, was I could be told, these are the rules you need to follow as a bottom, as a submissive, this is how you act. Finally, those unspoken social cues I never learned growing up are going to be written out and told to me in simple black and white fashion. Hmm, okay. What did you learn when you entered the community? What, What really sparked you when you got in there? The first thing I learned is not everything is black and white, even in the community. There are lots of shades of gray. Currently, I have learned there's about 50 shades of gray. Ha ha. I had to, I'm sorry. Puns are my medicine. But I have learned how to communicate with people, how to express what I am feeling in a way that isn't just blunt and isn't so um, black and white that people can understand me a lot better. Did you have any issues when you entered the community, such as disclosing that you had the condition that you have? Did people treat you any differently before and after? When I first got into community, I went by my old um, training in life is do not disclose if you can help it. Do not tell anybody that you have Asperger's syndrome because they will treat you differently. So when I first got into community, my behavior came off a little bit erratic, a little bit 
off-putting, a little bit too blunt. Once I disclosed, two different patterns kind of showed up. There's a lot of people who, once they understood, it's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. I can understand you better where you're coming from now. And I was able to open better dialogue with them. Then there are those who, unfortunately, as soon as they heard that, treated me like I was an idiot and that I wasn't able to fully consent and understand what was going on at the clubs. It was terrible to lose people that way, but it just made the people I found even better. Very nice. So before you disclosed to people that you had this, people were like running away from you in droves? Is that accurate to say? I wouldn't say in droves, but definitely in at least in bus sizes. I was either extremely shy and kind of walked up to people and, Hi, I want to talk to you. But I really didn't have anything to say because I was so confused and overwhelmed by what was going on that I couldn't really focus. Or I was extremely blunt. Hey, I just saw you tie up that person and beat the crap out of them. Where do I sign up? That's not the proper way to start a uh, conversation in the community to make friends. And once they understood where I was coming from, they were able to slow um, talk to me and say, Hey, I understand you want to play. This is kind of what I need from you for me to feel comfortable playing with you. And then I could go through those steps with them, build that relationship and trust that I was missing, and experience some of these amazing scenes I was so desperate to see, join, and be a part of. So what was your first experience into BDSM? When you first entered the community, what did you do when, when you walked in the door the first time? Walked right out. The first time I actually went to my local club, I was kind of tricked, I'm not going to lie. I thought I was going to a goth club. I dressed up in some nice dark clothes. I went to a club, sat down. Got a little bit rundown of words I've never heard before. Consent, flogging, scenes. And basically told, don't fuck with people. They won't fuck with you. And do not touch their stuff. And that makes sense. You never want to touch somebody's stuff without their consent. My, I walked into the play area. And I sat in the third row, not really understanding. I'm like, okay, well, scenes. They must be doing plays tonight. So I sat in the third row watching, looking around, waiting for something to happen. As everyone else came in, no one sat in the same row as me. The first row got up, set up the toy, set up the floggers, chains, and then went to the back of the room. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Props. Second row got up, and I was kind of confused because they started undressing, which, again, goth club. was not expecting that. And they started doing an impact scene. I was not expecting this. My mind kind of shut off. All I could think of was, what the hell did I get into? Why is this going on? And more importantly, she's hot. And as I watched the scene go on, my second thought was, I'm in the third row. They're going to expect me to do something next. They're going to expect me to go up there and do something. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I have no idea what's going on. All I could remember, though, was, the word consent. If you they don't consent, move along. So I must have the same rules too. So I focused on, if they ask me, I won't consent. I will not consent. They will just move on. 
Halfway through, I finally started really focusing and finding out that this was actually a class. This was a Florentine flogger class. And once I realized it was a class and that I was supposed to be learning, I had an amazing time seeing the care they were giving to the demo bottoms, seeing the tops explain, here's where you hit, here's where you do not hit, and this is why I'm using this type of flogger. The information, the care, the love you could feel from that scene is what made me keep on coming back for more. But you said you ran out the first time. What, what do you... So, at my local club, there's three rooms. There's one place you can go to relax and just talk. There's one place where they have a little bit of talking and a little bit of playing. Then they have the actual dungeon. So I got through the class, and somebody invited me and said, Okay, well, would you like to see the actual dungeon? I'm like, I was a little confused. Like, I thought this was the dungeon. They took me over to a dungeon. I spent five minutes in there, saw the screaming, saw the yelling, saw the pain. I was so overwhelmed, so filled with too much information, I booked it the hell home, deleted my FetLife profile, and vowed never to go back. Two weeks later, I remember it popped into my head, they have an event going on tonight. What's the worst that could happen? I've been going back ever since. Very nice. The only thing I wish I did differently in the community when I first started was I wish I waited to play. I dived in a little bit too fast and a little too uneducated, and I got my heart broken a little bit. But I think I've grown to be a better person because of those experiences. I just wish I waited, like everyone told me. Yeah, and that, and my listeners, if you've heard me talk for uh, forever now, since you've heard me talk for almost four seasons until now, um, you always hear that we mention that very thing, that uh, if you're going to get in this scene, you should probably... Don't go with the expectation of playing. Definitely don't go with the expectation of an orgy or sex or anything of that nature. Um, because you're probably going to be disappointed. And it really helps to establish the community and then play rather than play and establish a community. It's a lot easier to do it that way. So Algernon, how do you want people to treat you or other people like you with Asperger's in the scene? I think the best way to describe treating somebody with Asperger's is treat them like a puppy. If you get them riled up, they're going to have a lot of energy. They're going to be hyper-focused on the topic you're talking about or the activity. So So expect that level of energy. But also understand that that's not who they are. They're just super passionate about their topics and they enjoy talking about it. But they are a full... They have a full range of interests... They just get a little too focused. Like this sentence I'm talking about right now, that is, I've said the word a little too focused like seven times now. Talk to us. If we say something that makes you feel a little uncomfortable, ask us what we mean. Almost all of my miscommunications with people has been because I was saying something sarcastically, but I didn't have the tone of sarcasm. And they took it literally, or... I'm trying to say make a bad joke, which I am known for, and they are taking it as me trying to be serious, or me not being focused on the conversation at hand. Ask us, ask us what's going on. 
don't expect us to have the same emotion um, every single day with the same steps. One day, a flogging would be the best thing in the world. We can go for hours. Another day, we don't want to be touched at all. So, yeah, we had that scene set up for flogging or impact. Maybe just go see a movie instead. We still want to spend time with you. We just don't want to be touched at that time. If you ask us and draw us out of our shells, we are really good at talking about how we feel. Sometimes our brains just run a little too fast. And we think we're coming off clearly, but we're just sending out a mile-a-minute sentence that rambles for no reason. So if Ritzy was here, I'm sure she would say the same thing that she always says. Communication! It's important in any regular scene, even more important with somebody with Asperger's. Communication is the key thing, and also routine. I have a routine every morning when I get up. I wake up, I shower, I eat my breakfast, drink my coffee, then brush my teeth. If you expect me to eat breakfast before showering, you're going to mess up my, my whole day, because that's my routine, that's my comfort. It can bend and change, but there's some things that I just have to do in this way, a little bit of OCD, to help me get through the day. So yes, if you are fortunate enough to meet someone with this uh, ailment in the community, just talk to them, have those conversations, figure out what they need, because it may be different from what other people that you're used to may need. They may need a special type of aftercare. Do you need a special type of aftercare? I do. When I bought them, my aftercare, I really don't need aftercare. I enjoy cuddling. That's not really my aftercare. That's just a little bonus for me. Because being touched is something I've only recently gotten used to. So, as a top though, my aftercare is an accident of you. It's a weird way to put it, but it's the best way to do it. I want to know what I did good. I want to know what I did bad. I want you to tell me what I could have done to make this scene better, and what did I do that made this scene perfect for you. I want to hear everything about it, not just I was the best top ever. I want to learn how to improve, and I want to see this scene through your eyes. I want to see how I presented myself, if it was received the way I wanted to be received, and what I can do to make this even better the next time we play. Hmm, that's interesting. Usually when I play, I, I request for the good things, the uh, success stories, what what went great, the praise, I guess would be the word I'm looking for, during the scene and during the night, and then the day after I ask for the feedback and the negative, uh, just so that we can ride the high, and then the next day when, we, when we're already dealing with the lows, we can deal with the low. So that's interesting. That's a different uh, different approach. Definitely not something I would I would be thinking about if I was dealing with somebody who had your condition. So thanks for thanks for letting us know that. No problem. Thank you for asking. One thing I would really like to add is my puppy side. I, growing up, I did not want to be touched. I did not want to be held. I didn't want you to brush against me walking down the hallway. I did not want to be touched at all. When I got into the community, I was still a lot of the same way. You hit me for hours with the flogger. I am happy. You pet my back to check my temperature. I'm going to be pissed off because you just touched me. It wasn't until I found pet play that I really started to accept, not just accept, but enjoy being touched. There was just something freeing to me about being in that pet space of, yes, scratches are okay. Yes, touches are okay. Yes, just random little cuddles is okay. 
started off as okay. Now when I'm in pet space, I beg for pets. I will offer my belly to anyone for scratches. And does pet play, that has that helped you cope with your condition in any way? If I could be a 24-hour pet, I probably wouldn't because I love video games. But when I'm in pet space, a lot of the things that Asperger's kind of limits me with, my mind racing all the time, focusing on social cue, social cues, having to find that proper wording for a sentence that to convey my feelings. All I have to do in pet space is bark, be cute, and know that the people who are petting you just enjoy your company. It is such a freeing experience for me. I mean, they make video games for pets. You know that, right? They do? Yeah. they may, You can go on the Apple Store or the Google Play Store. They make them for cats and dogs. I mean, they're simple interactive games, but like pop the bubbles and stuff like that. After this interview, you're going to have to send me those links. I am very interested now. <laughs> yeah, puppy puppy games. Although, uh, if you have a, a tablet and you're, you're playing with your cat, make sure the cat's been declawed first because they'll like start clawing at your screen. Or at least a good screen protector at the very least. Well, Algernon, I really appreciate you being here and, and being a representative for a community that I knew very little about. So I really appreciate all your time and your insight. Thank you, Squirrel, for having me on. It has been a great experience to be able to voice these feelings and to help share my knowledge with everybody, with all of your listeners. Would you have time to answer some questions with us? I think I could spare a few minutes for some questions. Okay. Well, we're going to do the news article real quick, and then we'll move on to the questions. So I appreciate your time. Thank you. So this week, my listeners, I found us an article about someone who actually uses rope bondage and shibari in general as a way of coping with their anxiety. This individual originally started off doing yoga and felt that that was very therapeutic, which it is. And then her instructor started using straps and various things of that nature to put her into more difficult positions. And then she got into a relationship with somebody who actually wanted to do rope bondage and was not teaching her directly, but encouraged her to try it. What do you think about this article, Algernon? I think it's a very fascinating article and shows different ways the human body can heal itself and to self-medicate without medicine. Sounds a lot like, have you ever heard of deep um, pressure therapy? I have not. Deep pressure therapy is a form of autism therapy where instead of giving somebody a hug, they would um, sandwich the person with autism between two heavy layers. In my case, it was um, under my mattress frame above my box screen. And it just really calmed me down. It was... Kind of like what I would expect a hug would have done at that time if I could have, if I could use, if I could have accepted hugs at that time. But it sounds like this person's going through the same type of thing with Subari. Mm-hmm. And I really do appreciate ways of coping with anxiety without relying on medication. Not everybody is like this, but the people that I have met with anxiety that use medication it tends to turn them into what it's i'm not meaning a joke here into a shade of gray um instead of what they usually are you know you've got the happy you've got the the sad version of that person they just become the blah if you ever saw the neutrals from futurama i was just like you know they were just 
blah the entire time. Your neutralness. It's a beige alert. If I don't survive, tell my wife hello. I dated an individual like this, and and as much as I hated those lows, having them do those highs, I, I, I hated the lows and I loved the highs. As soon as they became blah, I was like, eh, there's, there's no, there was no spark, there was no life. Uh, so, that being said, that's why I, I'm not a big proponent of medication. Obviously, if you need it, you need it, obviously. But if you can find alternative ways that can help you cope, that, that we can also do at the club, it, it this works pretty well for me. You know, now that you brought it up, thinking back to some of the behavior therapy I went through when I was younger and the stuff I do at the club, there is some overlap. We do sensation play. I do electricity top. It's electricity running up and down somebody's skin, different attachments, metal brushes. When I was little, one of my ways of coping and getting used to different fabrics was called brush therapy. Very stiff brush was run up and down my skin 20 minutes a day, three times a week. It kind of reminds me of sensation play now that I think about it. Obviously, though, if you're going to get involved in rope bondage, it is highly recommended that you go and attend some kind of class. Uh, any BDSM community worth its salt is going to have a few rope people. I mean, that's that's pretty much a given. There may not be formal classes. I'm lucky that where I live, there are formal classes. In fact, there's multiple groups that do formal classes. But honestly, find somebody who knows what they're doing and have them teach you. You can also learn by YouTube videos. There are some good YouTube videos and books. That doesn't work for me personally. I don't know about you, Algernon, but it doesn't really work for me personally. I need hands-on instruction. I'm okay with videos, but hands-on is definitely the way to go. You can't really learn what you're doing wrong without the instructor being able to say, you just made the left turn instead of a right turn on that um, tension right there. And rope bondage is one of the few types of play that is seriously dangerous. It doesn't sound dangerous, but it is actually very, very dangerous and can actually kill you if you're not careful. So it is something you should look at. If you're just doing groundwork... The odds of doing serious damage are low, but you can still cause nerve damage at the very least. So definitely practice on things like practice. You know, I, I know somebody who suspends chairs first. That's what he has people do. Like suspend this chair. And you're like, I don't know how. Well, then how are you going to suspend a person if you can't suspend a chair? Also, this person also suspends their cats, but that's that's a whole different thing. I need to see videos of this cat being suspended. Mm-hmm. It's it's. It was very interesting when I walked into their house and saw just cats hanging from the ceiling, asleep, and they, they could get out of it if they wanted. It's like a bondage hammock, but hey, they liked it, so there you go. Kind of weird. They, I, I, I wanted to see them like walk their cat. Like Instead of putting the leash on, what do they do? Tie a harness and then run the rope, and that's how they walk their cat. Although, do you walk a cat? I don't know. Some cats get walked. It has four legs. It can be walked. In the end, I thought this article was just really interesting. And just another way that we can use what we do in helpful and healing ways, unlike what most of the world thinks what we do is big orgies and beat each other, which, I mean, okay, that does happen sometimes, but that isn't the bulk of what we do. The bulk of what we do is therapeutic. Uh, a lot of people, they they use it as a stress reliever, not only the rope aspect but just topping and bottoming for people who make decisions all day they may want to bottom all day or for people who have no control over their lives they might may want to top when they get to the clubs or in play 
just to regain part of their life or part of control of their lives or give up that control if that's all they do. Couldn't say it better myself. (laughs) So check out the article. There'll be a link to it in the podcast description. And let's get on with your questions. I'm looking forward to it. Our first question comes to us from John in Louisiana. And he writes, Fitting in has always been an issue for me. In school, I was always the outcast. Now that I've joined what is, in essence, a group of outcasts, the BDSM community, I feel that I'm an outcast there, too. How do I go about fitting in? I think you and I can speak to this pretty heavily, actually. Pull up a chair. We can be here all night. (laughs) Well, we've only got an hour, so, you know. I think before you can really fit in, you need to accept you may never fit in. Some days, I do not feel like I belong in my community at all. It's just, I don't connect with people. I don't have the same reactions as everyone else does. But I still go there because that's the place I can be myself. And even if I'm not fitting in as myself, I still feel accepted as myself. So I would recommend don't go expecting to fit in. Go to be accepted and let the fitting in just happen naturally. Exactly. And it's similar information that I've given to people about uh, dating and finding partners, including one rather troublesome individual I'm dealing with right now. But the advice I give to people is one, lower your expectations. And I know that sounds very pessimistic. And number two is go without any expectations whatsoever. So what that means is go to events without the thought of playing, without the thought of meeting anyone. There's two reasons for that. One is that if you don't meet anybody, you won't be disappointed. You went you went to go talk with people, enjoy some company, be yourself, and just have fun. And number two, when you do find somebody, it's a great thing because, oh my God, I wasn't expecting this tonight. Now, the only caveat to that is, you know, maybe pack a small toy bag, keep it in your car, just in case, just in case you do get to play. Because I have lowered my expectations that much and shown up and somebody wants to play and like, oh, I left all my toys at home. And then you're disappointed for the wrong reasons. But all that being said, if you go and just go to have a good time, just go to relax, it will show. And people will come up and talk to you. And there won't be that pressure that you're trying to get into a relationship with somebody or play with somebody. It's just, hi, I'm Squirrel. How are you? And you have that conversation, that idle chatter that we all are so good at. You know, how's the weather today and what sports teams are doing well? And those relationships will develop naturally as opposed to when you go like, oh, my God, I must play with everyone. Will you play with me? Will you play with me? That comes off very, very different. One of the things I do when I don't feel like I'm really fitting in and I'm not sure how to approach people for conversation is I actually have a straight jacket. It was kind of a last minute buy. I love it a lot. I go to the club with the sole purpose of wearing that jacket. And if somebody comes up and talks to me, I've made a new friend. I've had a great conversation. If not, I went in to wear my jacket. I went in for me. And without any bar set, everything just kind of flows a little bit better when you're not expecting anything. So, John, I really hope that that helps. Just be yourself. Go and have a good time and it will happen. The more you try, the more you're going to beat your head against the wall afterward. And believe me, I believe that Algernon and I can both say that we were probably both picked last for sports teams in physical education, I'm sure. You were picked at all? I know. I I was usually like, fine, we'll we'll take Squirrel. And it's like, I don't get it, though, because I love dodgeball so much. 
probably a little indicator. I like getting hit with the balls. That's probably why they took they wouldn't take me because I ran towards the ball instead of away from it like you should. But hey, it, it explains a lot, right? Just a little bit. <laughs> so yeah, go have a good time. Be yourself. Don't worry about fitting in because it's the people who try to fit in that don't fit in. But when you go and be yourself, you'll just fit in naturally and people will like you. Thank you. Our next question comes to us from Cindy in New Mexico. And she writes, Whenever I attend events, it always seems to be like I can never find people to play with. Everyone seems to be already paired off and ready to play. How do I approach people for play or possibly a relationship? I think this is like everybody's first day question right here. That was my hardest thing getting into the community is how do you approach? How did you approach? At first, well... We'll get into my – the next question actually talks about my introduction. But the way that I've found that it works for me personally, by being a community leader, by being a teacher, by being a presenter, and by simply just being open to doing demos on people, I've kind of built up a reputation and people actually just approach me at this point. But when you start off, uh, you don't have that credibility. You don't have uh, – the social credit that you're looking for. And so what you end up having to do, you don't approach people. I always tell new people, if you're talking to somebody for the first time, again, similar to that previous question, when you're having those conversations, don't talk about play, have those normal conversations, talk about the weather, talk about the job, all the usual stuff, uh, unless you're in India and then don't talk about the job because that's, that's very insulting, but everywhere else, go ahead and talk about the job. And once you've had that discussion with people, you know, they might go, oh, so what are you? Oh, this? Oh, I just came from work. I'm a secret agent astronaut millionaire. Cool. Where'd you get the cowboy hat? Space. So what are you into? Then, of course, you know, go nuts and, and, and have those, those discussions. But don't approach and go, hi, I'm Squirrel and I'm into rope. Like, uh, no, it comes off as creepy. So end up just talk to people, have normal conversations like humans, act like you're not at a BDSM club with a bunch of naked people running around with weapons. Just have those normal conversations and people will approach you or ask you. I'm coming from it from a little bit of a different angle. I'm not a community leader in my clubs. I am known because I've been going there for about six years. I would recommend approach people as people first, like Squirrel said, and just get to know them. Be friends with them. Because even if that super hot guy or a super cute girl you talk, who you really want to top you is not really looking for a play partner right now, they may know somebody else who does. And if you become friends with them, and I'm not saying friend somebody to have to just make connections. I'm saying build that relationship. Make friends. Because when you have a friend... You want to introduce them to your other friends. And they might have that other friend who's like, my rope bottom just, I need a rope bottom for a class. Do you know anyone who wants a rope? Squirrel, do you know anyone who would like to bottom for rope? Mm, I could think of one or two people. And you can find people that way. Another way is talk to the people who are running the um, event. Tell them, I am new. I'm really interested in trying needles. They might know somebody who, a community leader who does needles and might be interested in t um, demoing it on you, teaching you to do it. 
Or if you're a top, show off your skills a little bit. Before I did elect, before I started building my own little posse of lightning bugs, I would go to a club, I would set up my gear, and I would just start shocking myself with it. And people would be interested, curious, come over, or enter, I'll invite them over, show them the stuff, how it works, and build a relationship of, hey, I'm just giving you a demo, but if you want to play later, let's get to know each other better. Let's see if we connect before we do a full scene. Exactly. My last piece of advice would be to don't limit yourself. Uh, I mostly give this advice to to men in general. Um because there tends to be this, I, I don't know what, I, I don't want to call it homophobic, but there tends to be this stigma, especially with men, about playing with other men. And I've run into this a lot where some guy will be like, you know, oh, I wish somebody would tie, tie me up and beat me. And then I go, you know, I'd be willing to do it. Oh, you're a guy. No, thank you. I, I, it's not like I, wa- I walked up and said, oh, yeah, I'll tie you up and fuck you in the ass. No, I, I, that's not a thing. I'm, I'm not going to do that to you. But I can give you the experience you're looking for and if you're looking for a sexual experience okay obviously i can't help you with that but i can certainly give you that experience you're looking for it may not be your most ideal situation but at least you get to one you get exposure because you get to try or do more of that thing that you like doing and two you other people get to see you doing that thing and know that you do that and so maybe there's if i'm using the example of of a heterosexual Uh, relationship here but i'm tying another guy up and some girl goes "Hmm, that's hot i want to tie him up too there you go if you had said no to me that's an opportunity that you're you're closing the door on and going well i don't want to play with you because you're a guy like that's fine i play with men and women i do admittedly play with more women in general but i will play with guys i have no problem with it i don't care what you have between your legs i'm gonna torture it in whatever way i see fit assuming you let me yes consent consent all right so cindy i i hope that helps establish that kinky background check establish that group of friends just honestly just talk to people like their people just like we told john in the last question just have those conversations build those friends that's going to definitely get you what you're after. And don't go into those situations with the expectation of playing or establishing a relationship. As dating experts will tell you, go do what you normally do and people will come to you. Don't go out there looking to date. That's why uh, a lot of uh, relationship experts hate the idea of single mingles and stuff like that. Because everyone there is desperately trying to find a relationship, so nobody finds a relationship. Versus if you like bowling, go bowling. Join a bowling league. You'll meet somebody who probably likes bowling too. Or in this case, the club. Go to the club. Hang out. I bet you there's going to be some kinky people there. You think? (laughs) I don't know. I've never seen a kinky person at the club before. That's a new thing for me. Exactly. So, yeah, just go enjoy yourself. Have a good time. Our last question is a little different. It came to us from Discord. And it comes from uh, X Martin X on Discord. And they write, In a recent episode, Rope Squirrel spoke about his introduction to the community. And I wanted to ask some follow-up questions. Fair enough. I, I, I'm an open book here. I believe Ritzy is going to be interviewing me in a future podcast here uh, coming up soon. So there will be far more in-depth on that one. 
But uh, the first question that they ask is, when did you get involved? If you and we'll 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 throw you in here too, Algernon, so we can kind of uh, do a little bit of both. When did I get involved? Um, honestly, if you don't count me tying up girls on the playground in elementary school, which I did do, and when the teachers asked for short stories, there was always people getting tied up and captured. I didn't usually include torture, but there was always at least some kind of a capture scene in all my stories, which they did call the principal, and my parents got called in. Um, and the, the uh, rope on the playground in elementary school, like I said before, which was fun because they'd lean up against the tetherball pole and I would take the jump rope and just run around the pole and tie them to the pole. And So if you don't count all that stuff uh, in the past, uh, I officially probably got started in 2001. The what ended up happening with me is I got on something called Collar Me, which at the time was kind of the fat life of the day. Um, it has now since become Collar Space, as I recall. Not the best place in the planet. I prefer fat life infinitely more to uh, Collar Me, but it was the thing at the time. And they had events, just like Facebook does. Um, there was also alt.com and bondage.com which are the three that i was really on uh, i don't recommend either of those especially alt.com not really a great place honestly anymore plus you have to pay a buttload and nobody ever talks to you so bet life is so much better i got involved uh, by looking in my local area and saw there was a munch so i had no idea what to expect i went to a munch it was at a bar and at the time in the state that i'm in smoking was allowed in bars so i walked into a smoke-filled bar which i'm not wasn't too happy about and didn't exactly know who to look for i did see this shall we say grizzled group sitting around a table and i was originally going to just go sit down but then I thought, I don't know anybody here. I should probably not do that. And I'm scared and timid and I'm an introvert. Oh, no. So I sat at a booth and I ordered, I think, a plate of fries because I didn't have a lot of money. I was a poor college student. So I was like, oh, I'll just have a thing of fries and soda. It's cheap, whatever. And the meeting ended. They all left and I left after them. Woohoo! Big, big, lot of fun. Next month, it came back. Same, same place. I went back to the event, sat there. I don't remember what I ordered this time, but whatever. It doesn't matter. They left. I left. Third time I came back. Finally, one of the tops who ended up being one of my tops for a few years grabbed me and said, you've been coming here for three months and you haven't been sitting with us. Get over to the table now. Dragged me over, sat me down. And that is pretty much... <laughs> My first, well, I guess technically my third munch, uh, but that was my first introduction of the scene, my first conversation with people. I was a timid little mouse, and we already went over Algernon's thing, so we'll skip to the next one. What was your first experience like, and how did that go? Well, uh, I had just been dragged over to the table. I was told that night that there was some kind of an event in Denver. I was told that night that there was an event going on and that I was to attend. I didn't know anybody. 
I just met this person literally 10 minutes ago. Okay, let's let's dive into this head first. Doesn't it sound like you had a chance to consent to this party? I did not. And we'll get into that as well. But I figured, okay, what is, what's the harm? It's an event. I, I'm sure it's going to be fine. It's at somebody's house. What's the worst that could happen? Okay. I, I don't remember specifically the name of the person, and I, it's not really all that relevant, uh, the name of the person who was hosting the event, but they were a big name in the community at the time. I showed up at the house and was promptly escorted by what I would consider the owner of the house, a, a very... Uh, very attractive woman. I was escorted up to a bedroom that was clearly not the master bedroom. And they proceeded to hand me various articles of best I can describe it as male lingerie and told me, here, put this on. Like, um, okay. So I proceeded to change. And then they said, go downstairs and show everyone. And I admit the first thought that went through my brain is, oh, great. I've joined a pedophile ring. That's, uh, uh, not realizing that by very definition that was not true, but still, uh, there were the people old enough to be my parents sitting downstairs, um, to which they had me go down and parade around in somewhat of a dirty fashion show, I guess. Although I guess most fashion shows are dirty at this point. And then they, I walked back upstairs and like, okay, well, that, that, that was good. All right, fine. Then the homeowner hands me another piece of clothing to try on. Okay, I try it on, I go and parade. I do this for about five rotations. And then my top finally goes, okay, we're going down to the dungeon. Dungeon? This is a house. What do you mean? We go we go down a, a door and there, lo and behold, is it's not a huge dungeon. It's a modest dungeon, maybe five, ten stations. They tie me up to a cross and proceed to beat me. Let's see, they, they paddled me, whipped me, beat me. They didn't shock me this time, but... Oh, and then she beat me with a tennis ball on a stick, which uh, left a massive knot on the side of my leg. Um, so not exactly the best opening experience. I guess, what was your first experience then? Well, again, it kind of depends on where you say is your first experience. On the playground, I always was the pet... We would play Transformers. I was always Cheetah, the Cheetah one that stayed in beast form because some weird virus keep has locked me into that position. I really didn't have the opportunities to tie people up. I kind of wish I did. Sounds like you had a bit of a fun childhood than I did. My first real tasting was at a local club by somebody who was a really great friend of mine. She wasn't a top at all, but she wanted me to experience. Attached me to, let me in, we negotiated what toys were going to be used, how we were going to play, and went over our safe words. She was very gentle, showed me each toy before she used it, and needless to say, I fell in love with getting beaten by floggers. I still have one of the first floggers that was ever used on me. It's one of my specialist toys. My first official scene, though, with somebody who I refer to as my dominant, our first scene was a little less negotiated. They had me fill out a 300-page contract 
that basically said, if it's okay on this piece of paper, I legally allow you to do it to me anytime you want. 300 pages? 300 pages, and I filled every single one up, even if the ones that did not have anything to do with me personally. I can't get pregnant. Well, I mean, we could try. Let's negotiate later. <laughs> and there really wasn't any aftercare. There really wasn't any emotion involved. It was, you said I can do this. I'm going to do this to you. And at that time, I thought that's what the actual play was. Because I never saw anyone else really go into deep negotiations. Later, I kind of put two and two together that they, everyone else has been friends with each other or partners with each other for a while and that's why I didn't see that and I should have advocated a little bit more for myself at that time so yeah I got my play wasn't bad but there really was nothing there besides I get to do this you said I could that was it I think you have some of the same regrets that I did as well in my case I didn't negotiate at all and it's not true. I don't blame my top for not negotiating. I blame myself for not advocating because in essence, I just said yes to everything. You want to do this? Yes. Do you want to do this? Yes. Do you want to do this? Even that ball that I've mentioned that left a big knot on my leg, like, Oh yes. There wasn't enthusiastic consent. It was just like, okay, yes, you can hit me with that. Cause I thought my whole job as a bottom in this case, cause that's what I started as, was to take pain. And if I said no, I was a bad bottom. And so it wasn't my top's fault because I didn't know what to say no to. I didn't know to sit down and have the negotiation. Should they have sat down and given a negotiation with me before we started? Yes, but I don't think it would have changed anything. I would have just said yes, 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 yes to everything. Um, Because I thought if I said no, she'd go, oh, I don't want to play with you now. So in the end... I regret that. I regret playing on my first night. I tell people not to play on their first night. Again, a bit of a hypocrite because I played on my first night and I turned out fine. I know a bunch of people who went to a large uh, event. Um, I believe it was called Thunder in the Mountains, which I hear is is big on play. And that was their first entrance to the scene. They had never done anything before that. They're like, ooh, a BDSM con, let's go. And then they walk in the dungeon, and I'm sure they were like, oh, dear God. And then they went to the clubs. So I'd recommend this first. Go to Munches, then go to your local clubs, then go to national conventions or international conventions, if that's a thing, um, in that order. And the whole time, consent, don't do anything you're not comfortable with, and start small and work your way up. Don't, Don't demand the entire buffet when you can order just the appetizer and try it out first. I agree. A lot of my local clubs have what's called tasting nights. No pressure. You go in. Different stations are set up by people who know their, who have skills and know what they're doing. They talk you through the toys. They use them on you. You're allowed to stop at any time you want. It was the first place I did. So um, I tried suspension. I lasted about three seconds in the air before I said, "Nope, nope, game over." Go slow. Go at your pace. And know there's. You can always go back for more. You don't have to eat everything your first trip. Exactly. So thank you, Martin, for that 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 question. I, I hope that uh, answered it for you. And, and obviously, if you all have more questions for either Ritzy or I, 
uh, feel free to let us know. We are more than happy to answer whatever questions you have. So thank you. So my listeners, that brings us to the end of the show. And I really appreciate you all listening. Uh, again, sorry Ritzy couldn't be here this week. It's just schedules and whatnot. But I didn't want to leave you hanging. I wanted to make sure you got an episode. And I really appreciate Algernon staying around and uh, answering your questions and pre- providing his insight because uh, admittedly it's a portion of our community that there aren't that many of. And if there are, we don't hear much from them on average. We are around. It's just a little hard for us to get off our shelves, but we are there if you look for us. Exactly. So thanks for listening. Have a good one. And as always, stay kinky, my friends. Check us out on the web at thewebkingofthechain.com. Follow us on Twitter at KingChainShow. Or call us. We don't bite unless you ask nice. Have feedback or want to submit a question for a future show? Send your emails to podcast at kingofthechain.com.